Hello and welcome to the CRE with Coal Banker Commercial Worldwide podcast. My name is Christina Ballas, the National Director of Strategic Implementation for CBC, and I'll be your host. With us today is Nikki Greenberg, world-leading futurist. The way people live, work, play, and interact with the physical world has become increasingly digitized and will continue to exponentially evolve into the future. We were lucky enough to have Nikki as our keynote speaker at the Cola Banker Commercial Global Conference at the end of March, and I'm excited to share with this audience some of what we chatted about. My guest today will address the intersection of physical space and cyberspace. In her work as an architect and technology strategist, she designs the experiential digital layer in places across cities. And today, Nikki's going to talk to us about how she saw technology trends impact commercial real estate, why this is important work for her, how we can capitalize on new opportunities, and really how we can think of technology as another growth tool in our toolbox. Welcome, Nikki. It's so great to talk with you again. Right. Thanks so much for having me, Christina. It's nice to see you a week later after we saw each other at the fantastic conference that you ran last week in Chicago. So... It's nice to be able to pick up the conversation where we left it off. Absolutely. We are so happy to have you so soon. Um, As Julie Andrews said in my favorite musical, The Sound of Music, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. So I'd love for you to share with us what brought you into the world of technology, futurism, and ultimately commercial real estate. Um, Yeah, that's that's a good question because um, if futurist isn't really something you can study at university, it's kind of a little bit of a... Let's be honest, it's, it's a made-up job title, at least in, in my case, you know. Uh, so, yes, I mean, my my journey through the industry is I've been in property development for about 20 years, having started out as an architect and urban designer working in um, Sydney, Australia, on big mixed-use communities. And it was really, you know, through that I then got into development and it was in 2017 when I moved to New York that I was exposed to the real estate technology scene, which to me really excited me and the thing about the industry and what you know what I like to remind people about is that for everybody in real estate we're always having to look at future trends you know when especially when we're designing or developing a place we're having to think about well no who's going to be the future occupant what's you know what type of uses are going to happen around here what kind of spaces and experiences do we need to be able to provide for so that we can make sure that we're future proving a place so so for me as a designer, I was always having to think about the future, which is not unusual for our industry. Um, and the same applies to brokers. You're always having to think when you're advising your clients, you know, what's the place going to be like? What are their future needs? Um, what's the client's future growth? Um, you know, how are they going to use a space, not just today, but how are they going to use it tomorrow? So I actually like to encourage everybody in the industry to think of themselves as futurists because that's what we're having to do. That's kind of the futurism side. And then on the tech side, you know, as I said, when I moved to New York in 2017, I became enamored in everything that was happening in prop tech and real estate technology. And for me, it's just that it became another tool in our belt that we could use technology to create better experiences for people um, and, you know, better better efficiencies and more, um, you know, greater um optimization of the way that buildings are used, you know, in terms of energy saving, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it became this layer that we could really interact with. 
So, you know, I was working with um, Brown Harris Stevens in the new development team. So, uh, you know, working with our clients there about how we can start using technology and some of our, um, you know, some of our developments. And then more recently, when I was back in Australia over COVID, I was working with a company called 2IC, which is a large um, real estate investment manager, 17 billion AUM, um, looking at, at a portfolio level, how can we then bring technology in to our developments at scale to think about, you know, how can you have all of our shopping centers, for example, using similar technologies that we can start collecting different types of data, um, being able to compare what's happening in different centers, start centralizing the operations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I know I've kind of thrown a lot at you, um, but essentially, you know, for me, technology is just this fantastic, um, you know, this fantastic tool that we can use to make our buildings even better and our operations even simpler. You know, you said something about when you were managing the portfolio in Australia, when you were looking to maybe add on new investments for that portfolio, what was your way of identifying who was maybe as technologically enhanced as they should be to qualify to be part of that investment? Yeah, and, and that's that's a good question because there's a maturity that I think hasn't happened in the industry enough to really have the technology infrastructure as part of the um, the considerations. So when you're looking at a typical um, you know valuation model, it's looking at certain attributes, but looking at well, what is the connectivity or the um, you know the fiber infrastructure set up like or you know, what is that, um, what is the premium that you can get if a building already has more sophisticated um, smart building infrastructure? It's, you know, you kind of start disrupting the valuation models there and there's not necessarily great case studies to be able to prove the case. Now, having said that, it was actually um, MIT did a study, which was quite interesting. They looked at commercial buildings in New York City and obviously this is, you know, MIT, so it's more at a theoretical level. And they were looking at, you know, what might be the premium that you can get on buildings that are green, smart, and connected. And they found, I think it was anywhere between a, um, and I don't have the numbers on hand, but I believe it was anywhere between a 6% and a 12% premium in rents that you could ask for from the tenants for commercial buildings. And I think it was maybe, and again, I apologize that my numbers aren't quite straight, but uh, I think it was around maybe um, 7% in terms of the premium that you would get when you transacted the building. So they were actually able to prove at scale the um, the benefit. And I think we you know we know definitely on the green side to be able to have buildings that are efficient, that um, reduce um, the operational costs from an energy perspective, um, that are compliant with new building, green building regulations. We can understand um, why that green piece would be important. The connected point is very important. Obviously, tenants, everybody wants, you know, everybody needs, um, you know, great connectivity, which is also, you know, associated with that flight to quality, um, which, you know, that, that um, you know, perfect connectivity is optimal. Um, and then the smart piece is that, yeah, you're reducing operational costs. You're also showing, if you have a smart building, you're also showing to the tenants that you're doing things that are cutting edge. You're, um, you're thinking about the, um, the utility, you're thinking about the customer, you're wanting to do the best. So um, those three factors um, can definitely contribute to a um, not just a better perception of the building, but also a, um, 
a premium when it comes to um, you know, our brands and transactions. You said uh, the three things, green, smart, and connected. Are the three of those uh, qualities oftentimes connected, to use the same word, but um, or can they be kind of separate? Because to me, I, my perception is that you would have to have a smart building to have it be the most green. And if it's connected, it kind of helps with all of that piece. So to me, it seems like it would be a package deal, but is that necessarily what you see? Um, a lot of the time it is connected, um, as, as you've just described. Sometimes it's not. Um, you can have a green building that's still dumb. Um, <laughs> and I think this is, this is one of those things you might, for example, have, um, you know, you might be able to open up a window manually. doesn't necessarily need to be on a system. So I think sometimes um, we, we jump to over-engineering. But, yeah, you can't. But, yes, you can't have a smart building that doesn't have good connectivity um, in order for you to really have a supremely green building, you probably want to have a great technology element. So there's definitely that um, that flow on effect. Um, one thing that I that I tend to go and I imagine about buildings of the future and smart buildings, et cetera, I think about my my imagination takes me to to big and major cities. But a lot of um, the full banker commercial network, for example, while they're in major cities, they're also in secondary and tertiary markets. How can we um, to maybe shift our mindset from only having that imagination of like the Jetsons downtown city with, you know, flying cars, which we can, we can talk about in a little bit as they're coming. Um, but how can we think about these technological advances in smaller markets? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to consumer expectations and the, I suppose you could say the proof point that I like to use is that, and I know I don't have any affiliation with them, so I don't think this is an advertisement, but if you go into Walmart or if you go into Best Buy and you go into like the, the smart home section, it's growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And people are putting in, you know, their, their Alexas and their um, Apple Home, they're putting in smart lights, they're putting in smart doorbells, they're putting in smart this, smart that, smart whatever, you know, using their phones, et cetera. So from an individual's point of view, the expectation and the adoption of technology is very high. We're all walking around with, you know, we're all walking around with smartphones, we're all doing our banking on our phones online, that's become normalized. So as well as, you know, being able to shop online and, you know, read your news online, et cetera, et cetera. So from the individual's perspective, a technology adoption's high. So when it comes to making a decision about a building, wouldn't you want to also in your workplace, in your commercial space, in your, um, you know, the, the spaces that you're using for your business, wouldn't you also want it to be a better experience? So if you're having to know operate doors manually or for any for argument's sake the burglar alarm goes off and you physically have to go there in the middle of the night and you know sort through you know 50 keys to go through as an as a consumer you know well there's actually a better way like why can't i be at home and just like log into the security system and you know communicate with the person there and it's a security guard or just kind of give somebody access remotely i know that i know intrinsically that i can do that so i think even in the smaller markets you don't have to be you know, New York or Chicago, whatever, the consumer's not too different. Everyone's on their smartphones. Everyone's watching Netflix. You know, we know that this, you know, there's a benefit and, um, and the demand's there. That's interesting. I think about, um, you know, the inspiration of technological advances and being, uh, I'm personally from like a urban summer, right? Like right outside a major city. 
Uh, I tend to be inspired when I go to said major city, but I, I assume then from what we were just talking about, maybe in some smaller markets, it's the individual that inspires the technology, like the the individual contributor being more technologically advanced that inspires maybe the commercial real estate aspect of it instead of vice versa. Yeah, well, I think the, the convenience is the same. Everyone, everyone loves convenience. Yeah, and everyone loves efficiency. Um, yeah, yeah. Time is money, right? It's like an old adage, but now it's like everyone loves efficiency. Like we can be more efficient, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, I love what you said about the flight to quality. I think that um, oftentimes when we think of quality, we go to more traditional uh, mindsets of like what that means, and maybe it's construction. But I don't think a lot of time when we think of light to quality, we're thinking about um, technology. So I love that that's part of what you mentioned before. And, and I mean, again, it's the technologies that convenience. If if you can go into a building and not have the internet drop out every five minutes, that's great. Yes. Sure. Sure. For sure. Yeah. Where do, you, where do you see a lot of the future technology or emerging technology being utilized in what commercial real estate and of specialty is it are you seeing that advances in industrial outperforming those in office or like where where are you seeing the most exciting growth when it comes to technology um that's a great question and is one of those things where if i speak to somebody in office they say oh we're not as as well advanced as residential speaks out in residential they go oh we're not as well advanced as somebody in office so I think it's a little bit of like the grass is always greener um, and it applies to markets as well. When I speak to the Europeans, they're like, oh, you know, the U.S. is doing so much. When I speak to the Americans, like, oh, the Europeans are doing so much or there's so much happening in Australia. I think everyone's kind of like looking at each other and going, oh, we're not doing enough. Um, we could be better. But look, I think across the board, um, there's a lot that's happening and a lot that's um, exciting. And there's, you know, maturity in different dimensions. You know, during during the conference, I spoke a little bit about um, industrial and also the type of, of advancements we're seeing that Amazon and you know Walmart and others are getting involved with in terms of the different types of robotics that they've made huge investments in for um, deliveries, for packing, for monitoring their workforce, et cetera, et cetera. So I think on the um, on the industrial side, these spaces are becoming you know they're becoming computers on the inside. There's so many you know there's so much smart that's happening. Um, on the commercial side, it's become this, um, in many aspects, it's become a um, a differentiator and a convenience tool. Uh, you know, you also, um, you, yeah, a differentiator and a convenience tool that, um, you know, tenants especially that are in multiple buildings, they start to compare and say, well, hold on a sec, our building in whatever market, you know, we can pay our bills um, electronically or we can book the parking spaces electronically, it's such an easy experience. So when they come into another market, they're like, well, I have a certain expectation. Can you deliver on that? So it becomes start, you know, it becomes part of that brief. Um, and increasingly also because of COVID, what's um, you know, what's happened is that when it comes to um selecting a space, it's not just the real estate team, it's also the it's also the C suite, it's also the IT team, and it's also the HR team that's being involved in these decisions. So you know, it kind of broadens the conversation. Um, and then again, in terms of residential, it's that convenience factor that if individuals are super smart on their devices, they also want their homes to be super smart. So it's kind of, you know, it's it's across the board in different ways. 
Um, and I also think that each vertical can learn from each other. There's different aspects that we can learn from each other and, you know, different industries that we can learn from, you know, e-commerce, e for example, is just going to impact everything that we do. And any building that you have, you need to think about the impact of e-commerce and deliveries into your building and make sure that you have enough, um, enough space to receive the deliveries plus a simple experience for the delivery person to be able to get in, you know, such a smart access and a way of notifying people in the building that there's a package there and how you're going to get it up. So every, every impact externally is going to have an impact on us. And the more that we're across these trends, we can find some opportunities to start differentiating and making better experience for the customer. So thinking about how to make some of what you just said actionable for some of our listeners, if I am looking to, you know, either sell or lease a space, let's use industrial, right? So you're saying the Amazons of the world have really invested in robotics and making the space be more technologically able to handle that. Is it something that we should, they, that our brokers should consider outfitting their spaces with certain technologies? Or is it easier to have almost a blank slate and have somebody on the development team that could help take that space to that next level? Like, where do they start trying to figure out how to create these more advanced spaces? Um, yeah, look, it's, it's a good question. And my answer to that would be it's probably a case-by-case case basis, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but having said that caveat, um, I will throw in some, some tips and tips from conversations that I've had with, you know, different people in the industry. Um, I was in Europe um, at MIPIM a few weeks ago and I was speaking to so many people in um, in industrial particularly and just asking about what they're doing. Um, a lot of them, they're building um, warehouses on spec and they're then trying to find tenants thereafter. Um, and in these cases, they were looking at multi-level warehouses. So I think like with any you know any future customer you want to have the customer in mind and understand their needs so if you are trying to attract for example an amazon speak to somebody from amazon see if they have design guidelines see if they have certain requirements you know you know you need to do that one of the big trends that kept coming up though and something that i'd be saying you know definitely think about how you can incorporate it um, into you know into the project right from the start is looking at esg and for, um, you know, for a lot of the larger companies and global companies, they have ESG mandates, which means that they, as an organization, they've made commitments to ensure that their whole organization performs well, including across sustainability, um, which often also includes um, reducing their carbon footprint. So what that means, and I'm trying to condense this um, as much as possible, but what that means is that if you have a company, I'm just going to say for argument's sake, um, Microsoft, just as an example, um, because Microsoft is looking to become, I think not even carbon neutral, they're looking to become net positive. It means that every single, every single thing that they do, they're going to think about how can they contribute towards our organization's goals. So if they're leasing a warehouse space, for example, they're going to say, how can this warehouse space actually help contribute positively to our objective of reducing carbon? So if you're looking at things like, um, you know, putting, um, you know, photovoltaic um, panels or solar panels on the roof to um, generate energy locally, you know, that's great. You no, know, that's also a potential alternative income stream. Um, if you're looking at the types of materials that you're using, um, using um, timber more, um, 
you know, instead of using steel that has lower embodied carbon. So it basically means that um, through another metric using a, you know, a, a, you know, deemed more sustainable materials actually better against some of those metrics. So um, even if it's not something that you're necessarily engaged in today, um, but being able to understand where the trends are heading in terms of ESG, that's just a big consideration for a lot of organizations that if you can kind of tick that box with, you know, not just a double tick, but like with five gold stars, then that again can reposition you um, in an optimal way for a lot of potential tenants. That's really, those are some great tips. When we think about the future, which kind of the future is now, what excites you the most? Oh my God. I think, I think everything, I think I kind of live in this dreamland a little bit of where things just work perfectly and we don't have to do anything. Uh, I think partly I, you know, I'm a little bit of a lazy person in some regards. I want to be able to have my, um, you know, I, I want to be able to have my space just doing what I needed to do without me having to intervene. You know, if you can, for example, arrive at the office and everything works perfectly, everything's been cleaned, you can turn on your computer and everything's already set up the way you need it, your coffee's waiting for you, you know, you don't have to um, log in to pay your bills, everything's kind of automated, you just get those notifications. I think as much of the busy work as we can take away from our lives, um, the better that we can focus on the fun stuff. So I think what I'm excited about, and especially with, um, you know, with AI and the increasing adoption there and the kind of smarts there, I'm excited about this future in which things are just incredibly convenient for us that we just get more time to enjoy our free time, really. So, yeah. I mean, what what excites you about where technology is heading and what that might mean? Oh, what a good question. Um, what is just... <laughs> usually people don't let the question back on me. <laughs> what excites me the most? I think what the, the last piece of what you said where we're thinking about the individuals, like how to make my life, how to really take it across the finish line of how to make my life easier and get rid of the busy work. So that for me, I mean, I guess, cause I'm, I'm just focused right now um, at career. I think of how can I get rid of the stuff so I can make more space to think bigger, work more strategically, be more efficient at my work life. Um, of course that would help in my work-life balance, but I don't think of it as giving me time to play. I think of it giving me time to work harder, but in different ways. Like I don't want to sit there and do, I don't really want to do the busy work. So automation really excites me. Yeah. No, but, well, that's it. And I think that's that's exactly what technology can do for us. Once we've got it set up, we should just be able to sit back and cruise. Yeah, for sure. And I, I will admittedly say to our audience, I am a uh, what I consider lovingly a geriatric millennial. So I uh, know analog and digital. I love being part of a generation that still knows how to live life in an analog way. Um, I think it's helpful to have the skills personally, um, but the digital world just excites the heck out of me. I love being able to, I mean, just in my daily life, I love being able to not go to a, a physical store. I don't, I don't mind you know, certain experiences. I'm very much stereotypical. I want to experience a space. I don't want to have to deal with the headaches of that space. So getting my groceries delivered, uh, you know, is wonderful. I mean, during COVID, I kind of had both analog and digital give me those conveniences. You know, I didn't want to have to go to a store and in my state, everything was really locked down. Um, and so I even called the farmer and had them deliver milk straight to my door. So I want convenience at any way to get it possible. It 
I, it pained me to have to write a check. Like I was like, oh God, where's my checkbook? But I, I want the convenience of life so that I can do everything else that I want to do more efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I love I love that vision. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You chatted a little bit on stage with us about AI and chat GBT and those kind of new, you know, buzzy, exciting technologies that are out there. But you framed it in a way that I thought was really helpful. And and it, it hits on what we were just talking about, about being more efficient and getting rid of the busy work. But for the benefit of our listeners, you know, what um, how can people think of, uh, the, of AI and chat GBT to help them do their work? Yeah, that's that's probably a good segue in. The best way I can think of to say, think about AI and chat GPT is that the technology is a tool for us to use. And you know, what we were just describing now is a great example where you can get the technology to do some of the busy work with technology or, you know, I kind of like to describe it as, you know, AI, I like to describe it as it's a robot, you know, it's an automation. Anything that's dull, repetitive, or dangerous is very well suited to that type of technology. So dull, repetitive, or dangerous. We've got a lot of stuff that we do on a day-to-day basis that is dull and repetitive. We know that. Um, you can, and I encourage everyone just to go, you know, go online and do a little bit of a search and download some of these tools and just stop playing with it and see what it does. There's, there's, every day there's new AI tools that come out that do wonderful things. Um, I, I refer to some tongue-in-cheek examples about, um, you know, AIs that can reply to your email, for example. I think a lot of us, we get the same kind of emails all the time, like, hey, what, you know, what time are you open or how can I find so-and-so's contact details, you know, and you're like, this is not a good use of my time. Like, you know, we, we know that. You can actually get some um, AIs that will reply to those like commonly asked questions in your email, so it can start filtering through, and then you can actually reply to the meaty stuff, which is great. Um, you know, AIs that will um, organize meetings and take minutes and send out the notes. I mean, none of this stuff's going to be perfect, but if it can do maybe seventy percent of the work, and you need to just touch it up, it's it's a lot it's a lot simpler. Um, and then I use an example from um, ChatGPT three where. I just found um, some details of a listing for a warehouse that gave, you know, certain dimensions, the number of pallets, um, and then I threw it into ChatGPT and it took these, you know, these five, these five facts that I put in and it just spat out a beautifully well-written listing, which for me would have probably taken me, you know, an hour or so to write because this doesn't, you know, writing, writing listings is not something I do so comfortably, but you know, this listing that it put out started talking about, um, you know, some of the characters of the space, you know, the air conditioning, the comfort, the location. It actually gave this like beautiful vision of what it could be. Um, some of it was just clearly wrong because I didn't actually give it any information about air conditioning or the location, etc. But it's, you know, became something that I could then go back and edit quite quickly um, to make it more factually correct and then send it out. So. There's some really fantastic tools out there. Um, every single day, there's something new that comes out. Um, a lot of it's free. A lot of it has a free trial. Um, AI is not going away. It is not one of these buzzwords um, where, you know, we've had other buzzy things that have gone up and down. You know, crypto has gone up and down. Um, the metaverse is still kind of struggling to really get people on it, etc. cetera. Um, AI is something that's been around for a while. Um, there's a lot of great platforms. There's a lot of utility for that. So this is something that's definitely worth playing, you know, go online, find the tools, play around with it, get to know it. Um, and the more you can kind of familiarize yourself with it, then you can start finding ways that, okay, 
this is, you know, this is how you might be able to um, use it in a meaningful way um, in your company um, or in your life or whatever it might be, because it's only going to keep um, accelerating. And even today, just the benefits are, you know, phenomenal. So have a, yeah, have a play. I would, um, I think that it's important for anyone, but our audience to kind of understand that the technology in chat GPT or some of the AI tools, if you're the type of person that wants to just delegate a job and not think about it, right? So if I give a task to somebody I work with and I just am the type of person that wants to trust it to just get done and not QC it, that is not the way you can, you should interact with these tools. You really need to think of it as getting you to that 70%, like you said, you know, it, it helps, but you still need to be really actively engaged. Yeah, I think I think that's fair to say. At this point, it still needs supervision. Yeah, um, but it can take it can take a lot of work out. Yeah, um, for sure, for sure. I mean, seventy percent is the huge to see of you. Yeah, um, yeah. I recently heard um, after our after our chat together um, at the global conference, there was I forget where I was, but there was somebody that said, "Oh yeah, you know, you have to be careful with ChatGPT and giving it too much information." It seemed like a very suspicious kind of tone in the conversation and i didn't really understand where that came from and i don't know if you have any insight into that but where why is there suspicion on on jumping in and trying out chat gbt i think there's suspicion generally about giving away too much information generally about you know what you're doing and chat gpt would fall into the same category you know i kind of say at the end of the day everything that we put on our devices um you know everything that we type into google no, there's a lot about ourselves that, you know, for better or worse, is already out there. Um, I would say never put anything too sensitive out on, you know, any kind of platform. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're, and there's a reality to it, where all of us all around the world, we actually are in a very vulnerable position because this technology generally is advancing so quickly and there are bad actors that are also very sophisticated in being able to you know hack into devices get passwords this that and the other so i don't um you know i obviously wasn't part of that conversation i wouldn't say it's necessarily just a chat gpt thing i'd say it's information being available regardless and you know how how we can respond to those bad actors so that's a good thought, right? Like if you, in general, whatever information you would feel apprehensive typing in an email because you know that things can get intercepted or forwarded along or, you know, something that you would maybe even, you know, marker out if you were sending a document, a physical document to somebody taking a little bit of the technology out of it. Um, you should just use the same level of apprehension when you're trying these new emerging technologies. Yeah. Yeah. Be cautious. Um, I wouldn't be putting confidential general information out on the internet. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Well, thank you so much for such a rich conversation. I do want to leave you with, I want to leave the opportunity for you to just, I don't talk to our guests about um, ways that they should or could think about technology or what um, path that you think uh, the world is going in or whatever nugget of information you want to leave our guests thinking about instead of me prompting you with a question. Okay. Um, yeah. I suppose in terms of closing thoughts, I might just reiterate that there's great technology out there. Um, it is moving at a speed that's impossible to comprehend. So if you feel like there's something new coming out every day, yes, there is something new coming out every day. It's not just you. You can't stand still and you shouldn't stand still. But, you know, what's we're living in, I think, the most exciting 
time to be alive. So why wouldn't you want to start kind of having a play with what's there? So if I can leave everyone with a final thought, it's go online, try some of this stuff out. Um, If you're not super tech savvy, don't worry. You can get an idea of it. If you have some, you know, kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews or, you know, partners or friends that are tech savvy, chat to them about it. Um, if you have some, you know, Gen Zs and millennials or other tech savvy people in the office, you know, ask them to do some investigating and maybe recommend some things that might be good for you guys to use in the office. But I think bring like a, um, you know, bring a mentality of, you know, playfulness and know that it's not, um, you don't necessarily need to create these huge complex systems to begin with, but at least start familiarizing yourself with what's out there and yeah, you'll just start getting a bit of a lay of the land. It's a new language for everyone. Um, you know, cell phones, I think that they just, it's just celebrated, what was it, like 20 years or 50 years or something like that? Um, I think it's like maybe, yeah, so 30, 30 or 40 years maybe. Depends on which kind of cell phone, like a car phone that was like still sort of connected somehow. But yeah, I think around 30 or 40 years or cell phones, that's it. Yeah. Well, that's it. So it's taken, you know, it's taken decades for the adoption to really be there. But you know, as human beings, we all kind of learned these new technologies. We started playing with them. We're, you know, we're very adaptable. So have a bit of fun, play around with things, see see what appeals. Um, but yeah, just know it's not slowing down. It's not going away. Um, and there's great things that we can do. So I might just leave you with that thought. I love that. I love the idea of, of thinking of this as a tool of thinking of this as something fun that you can try um, and just a way to bring joy into your life, like whether or not it's it's the fun aspect or giving yourself more time through automation or 70% of the mundane, dull, repetitive, or dangerous work being taken care of. I think that those are all really wonderful ways to think about emerging technologies that help us that, that just makes it more bite-sized. It doesn't make it feel so overwhelming. And so thank you for framing it that way. Oh, no, of course, of course. I would love to know how people could get in touch with you if they wanted to. What's the best vehicle? Is it LinkedIn, et cetera? Um, yes, look, you know, I'd always love hearing from people and understand, you know, getting a sense of what they find interesting and what they're thinking about. So if you do want to get in touch with me, look me up on LinkedIn, uh, Nikki Greenberg. It's N-I-K-K-I, green, like the color, B-E-R-G. You'll see my face in a green circle to compliment my name. Or you could go to my website, www.nikkigreenberg.com. And yeah, reach out. Let me know um, you know what you're thinking about, what you find interesting. Um, follow me, sign up to my newsletter. I'm always putting things out that and sharing articles as well of uh, no different trends and technologies in the industry that I think are interesting. So yeah, get in touch. Wonderful. I know I get those newsletters and they're really interesting and I love the articles. So thank you. And for all of you that loved this conversation, don't forget to like or subscribe to the podcast. And uh, until next time, thank you so much for joining us.